0: Christine Manfield is one of Australia's most celebrated chefs. Her professional culinary life includes three acclaimed restaurants, Paramount and Universal in Sydney, and East at West in London. Her books include A Personal Guide to India and Bhutan, Dessert Divas, Tasting India, Paramount Cooking, and Paramount Desserts. But today I'm talking to Christine about her latest book, Indian Cooking Class. Christine, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you. Your introduction to Indian cooking class talks about the genius of Indian cooking as using spice to enhance rather than to dominate. What's the key to achieving that, to using Indian spice successfully?
1: There really is a, another ingredient as a flavour booster, and it's just having sort of an innate or confidence in your own cooking and how to how to blend, how to bring those spices together to really make the other ingredients in the dish shine.
0: And a lot of people might regard Indian cooking as too spicy, but you point out there's a difference between spice and heat and that these two elements are often confused. How do you deal with that confusion in your book?
1: Well, I think there is a that is a misnomer anyway um, because, um, you know, if you use salt and pepper, that's spicy. So, you know, because that's part of the flavour spectrum and I look at it as a, a very broad sort of wardrobe of flavours that I can draw on to give quite specific sort of tastes and for a beginner um, just take baby steps and just have a little collection of spices and just become very familiar with the flavors if you blend them together like making a masala blend or something like that people think it's difficult but it really isn't and if you look at a lot of particularly rural kitchens in um, in India right across the country more often than not just use the same five or six spices so it's not like they have 100 in there, you know, thing. There are some that are more complex. If you go into the, the cooking of, um, that the moguls brought in from the Persian invasion, you know, many centuries ago, um, their food is very rich. It's food for the royals, it's the courts. So the courtly cooking is always very different to the everyday household cooking.
0: And, of course, spices need to be fresh in the same way that vegetables need to be fresh.
1: Yes, heat and light are the worst things for spice. Buying in small quantities from a reputable spice dealer is really important and turning them over as quickly as can wherever possible to use whole spices and grind them down yourself because that's where you get that immediate release of the volatile oils that's where the flavor is going to be at its at its peak
0: I'm always impressed when I go to the Indian grocer even buying something as simple as black pepper and i compare it to the black pepper i buy at the supermarket and when i open the one from the indian spice shop you really know you're it's dealing pundit. with a spice
1: it's pungent it? yeah and that's and that's what they sh- that's what they should be i mean you can get pepper from daintree from queensland which is the same you know it's got really fruity notes i mean all peppers from different parts of the world have terroir just like wine do Um, so they will all have different um, flavor profiles so I have I work with probably half a dozen different sort of peppers depending on what what outcome I want
0: before we get into the book itself there's one thing I've got to ask you from my personal perspective I I bought some fenugreek about two or three years ago Uh, apart from the fact that I should probably throw it out start again what is fenugreek and what can I use it
1: for so if you've got the seeds, they may be a bit too past their use by date, but just put them in. What I do is, um, you know, paper towel, wet it, just like you want to sprout anything. Um, put the seeds in, you know, cover it with them, just keep it sort of damp and moist until they start to look like tadpoles. And then you can plant it and messy, um, M-E-T-H-I, is the green shrub. Which is used as a vegetable, and I've and I've used it quite um, liberally because that's a very um, staple ingredient in a lot of Indian cooking. So I grow that at home. So I have you know a, a patch of it in my in my vegetable garden, so I can just you know snip the leaves. You can buy it in dried form, which is how most people. Um, would do it because they're not necessarily going to go to the same bother. So it's a little sort of, you know, low, low-lying sort of shrub, if you like, yeah, soft green leaves that have got quite a distinctive sort of flavour. Um, and the seeds themselves are quite bitter. So usually you soak those in water just or in vinegar if you're making a pickle to soften them and to make them palatable. Um, So some of the different, like a kusundi, which is a tomato pickle from from, um, Bengal or from Calcutta, um, would have fenugreek seeds in it. And some of the sour curries, particularly with fish, um, also have fenugreek. That's
0: great advice. As soon as this finishes, I'm heading out to the garden and sprouting some fenugreek seeds. Now... Australians are well known for the love of travel and of the food they encounter along the way, and they've consistently brought these tastes back home. But we might still experience Indian food in a restaurant rather than at home. Where would you advise people to start in preparing Indian food at home?
1: Well, I think once you start to build your own confidence and and gain your own repertoire, and that's what this book is really all about, is to really show the versatility and the the infinite variety that is available um, in Indian cuisine. Because a lot of people, I think, have a very tunnel vision of what Indian food is. They think it's you know consists of vindaloo, badly made um, butter chicken, <laughs> and like there's six dishes you could say, and they think that's the sum total. That everything looks brown and it's swimming in gravy. I'm out to demystify that to show how approachable and how. Easy it is to achieve some fantastic flavors and textures in your food. And so the, the book is written as a sort of as me there as a sort of an invisible teacher, if you like, taking you through the process, through the steps, there's step by steps in every chapter. So you get a visual guide of what things should look like as, as you're progressing through the making of that dish. It's home cooking. It's me opening my pantry cupboard and go, okay, I've got this, I'm going to make a dial or whatever you don't have to tie yourself up in knots they are not restaurant recipes they are very much for the home cook inspired by Indian flavors so while tasting India was my love letter to the country in that it was a collection a vast collection of heirloom recipes that I collected from from families you know whether they were you know went on to become chefs or were home cooks or or street vendors you know so they've got that sort of very broad range in that so that I literally transcribed those recipes into the book as they were given to me. This one is me looking at Indian technique, method, the vast regional differences and religious differences in food through a Western lens. The recipes are very much designed for the contemporary Western kitchen.
0: That also brings me to a really interesting section, which is uh, the section on salads, which is not something we really associate with Indian food. Uh, And that made me think, well, what are some of the lighter styles and perhaps some specific dishes from Indian cooking class that can change people's minds about Indian food?
1: Salads is a really good place to start to start because, yes, it's, it's one thing. There is a bit of a phobia around um, around eating raw things in India, and, and quite often that's true too because you've got to be very mindful if things are being washed, that they're washed in clean, safe water or, let's say, um, Golgapa, which is a little snack and it has tamarind water poured over it for to give that sour note. They will have a little sign up saying that they're using bottled mineral water. Um, to make their tamarind. If you don't see that sign, you do, I don't stop there. And you know, Touchwood, I've I've been safe for thirty something years. You know, sticking to that sort of advice. India has always been influenced by its invaders, if you like, people that have come in. You know, migrants or whatever, say from the Persians and from the British and from the Portuguese. And now it's um, in the modern day, they're influenced by. Western culture. So you will see a proliferation of salads appearing on the more sort of upscale standalone restaurants in in the bigger cities.
0: Some good tips for avoiding the, well, I think it used to be the Bombay belly, but now it's the Mumbai belly, I guess, isn't it? (laughs) Indian food, well, you actually say invites us to embrace the vegetable world. Um, I recently went to a what I thought was a vegetarian restaurant in Sydney. And at the end of a really fabulous and varied and masterfully prepared dinner, the waiter announced that uh, everything we'd eaten was vegan, which came as a shock to me. Given that Indian food uses a lot of dairy products, where would you advise people to look in your book to explore that aspect of Indian cuisine?
1: Well, see, Indians don't really do vegan. But um, because you know dairy is such a vital part of their their repertoire, every, next to every single recipe in that book, I have listed the dietary. So there's gluten, if it's gluten free, it says GF. If it's dairy free, it says DF. That means vegan, um, and if it's vegetarian, it's V. So um, I've sort of put that next to every every single recipe, so it's a very instant visual as a guide to to um, inform. And then in the index at the back, apart from the general index, we have then done a dairy-free index and a gluten-free index. See, a lot of this, the food in the south, wheat isn't grown there. Um, rice is the staple. So if you're looking at Kerala and Tamil Nadu um, in the south, their breads are made from rice, rice flour, and lent and lentil, like um, you know the white the red lentil. So you know, fermented overnight, soaked, fermented, and then ground into a paste, and you know, all different. Um, flatbreads that you can make with that and all those are listed in the in the breads chapter so it's really trying to be as broad-based and as user-friendly as we possibly can in 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 this new age of um, extraordinary dietaries that we have found ourselves in.
0: It's great to have a book that everybody can cook from. The sheer variety of ingredients and recipes on offer in Indian cooking class suggests there's not many corners of India that you haven't explored or visited. It always makes me think, what are the, some of the most unusual eye-opening or even eye-watering dishes you've encountered along the way and how they found their way into this book?
1: The reason I love India so much is it's, it's sheer complexity and um, food is different everywhere. Even in the same village, you know, it comes down to the household. I'm in an incredibly curious person. And also, you know, when I'm over there getting out of the cities, I like a balance of city and rural or urban and rural um, but more and more over the years i've been drawn more to the off the beaten track sort of places i love the whole Himalaya regions from Bhutanese border right across to the, the pakistani border and up to the to the tibetan border you have the the buddhist communities in the mountains and they cook very differently they use pig they use they use beef the meat markets in all the cities are uh, organized and run by um, the muslim communities and <laughs> I mean, I've got a lot of Hindu friends that, you know, so we cook vegetarian at home, but when we go out, we like to eat chicken or, you know, or we like to eat meat. And so they'll go to those restaurants. And so by and large, the restaurants, and even the dabas, the like the local sort of, you know, cafes or canteens where meat has been cooked, it's usually, you can usually um, safely say who the cooks are. there's, There's no hard and fast rules. You know the Brahmins um, are supposed to be strict vegetarians. They're the you know top of the chain in the Hindu world. Yet, in in Calcutta, where seafood is just so abundant, it's the starting point for all their cooking. Particularly freshwater fish, they think that is so much more superior than than the muck that comes out of the sea because of its um, its flavour. And so they they actually have festivals around the hills this season, which um, comes in in autumn. you will find the Brahmins in in that city incorporate fish into their strict vegetarian diet. The rules are very flexible and they're quite fluid, and that's what I really like about it. There's always been quite a cohesion, and you can get that cohesion amongst different groups through food. I know there's evil forces at at play in the world these days to try and keep everyone sort of separate and divided, including in that country. But to, you know, bring people together and to sit together with food is one way out of the mess.
0: Sort of contradictory, but unifying at the same time, I suppose. Talking about contradictions, uh, one of my favourite cookbooks in my collection is Paramount Desserts. It's going back a while, but... It's a collection of recipes that are often quite complex and require a good deal of precision. Yet Indian cuisine seems to call for a a degree of freedom. And I think you even used the phrase the simple art of Indian cooking. Was there some kind of journey for you from precision to freedom uh, in your exploration of Indian cuisine?
1: Desserts, by their very nature, are exacting. It's a formula that you have to follow. You know that, you know, desserts are based on fat and sugar, essentially. And it's how you bring those together, how the molecular structure changes. And you can't just do a bit of this and a bit of that, like, you know, um, be quite sort of ad hoc, which in savory cooking gives you a much greater freedom to be able to do that. My two dessert books, Paramount um, from from those days and then Dessert Divas, which were all the desserts that featured on the menu at Universal um, across its years, um, are very much about really understanding what goes into making a fabulous dessert. But Indian desserts, they're very much into their sweetmeats. People don't cook desserts at home. You'll go to a shop to buy a little sweet snack and, and they have different sweets for festivals, different festivals throughout the year that are so sweet that you know, your teeth jingle in your, in your mouth just about. Um,
0: the dentist's nightmare, or, I suppose.
1: Yeah, or if you're out in the desert in Rajasthan, there'll be a halva, which is generally made from carrot. Um, so it's not overly sort of sweet. So the desserts in Indian cooking class are either my adaptations of what I've what I've seen and tasted over there, juiced up a little bit you know some a little more fancy than others and others are just really really simple like a little sweet fried sweet rice cake from Assam to give you an idea of how easy it can be just to put something together a little whisper of sweetness at the end traditionally they may only offer a fruit some fruit um, but what they put on the table when they give you the bill or when you're finished is a little dish with very fresh fennel seeds mixed with a little bit of rock sugar just a bite of that, and it's a mouth fresher.
0: They look fabulous too, those little yeah, those things. Yeah. Too. They're very colourful. So, Christine, this is a fabulous-looking book, right from the front cover right through to the beautiful photographs. And I, and I don't mind saying that uh, after flicking through Indian cooking class, I had to give the book a good wipe down. Um, and, I,
1: <laughs> and you haven't even started cooking <laughs> that's yet. right. And
0: I can't <laughs> wait uh, to start exploring it. You've even inspired me to try my hand at paratha, I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Uh, yeah. So thank you. And thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast.
1: It's been a pleasure. And enjoy your cooking and just, you know, just go with the flow and let it um, let it lead you.
0: I will. Thanks, Christine.
1: Thanks a lot, Greg.
0: I've been talking to Christine Manfield about her latest book, Indian Cooking Class. It's published by Simon & Schuster and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs and thanks for listening. This Good Reading podcast was brought to you by Luxure Read. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Luxure Read subscription today? Visit luxureread.com.au to find out
1: how.